0: You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Thanks again for tuning in for another fun conversation. This is a podcast that shares and inspires unconventional career journeys, and I do hope that my guests and I can really push you to have another spark, get inspired once again, and, yeah, lead a happy, wealthy, wise, and healthy life. Please help the podcast grow by telling your friends all about it, leaving us a nice review. You can be a subscriber yourself if you haven't done that before. Uh, It also helps if you go to omdventures.com and explore the site further, read the essays, subscribe to the newsletter, all the fun jazz. Oh, and also, if you also respond to the listener feedback uh, survey. That's also cool. Just get involved in any way you can. I always love that. Okay, so today's conversation is with Josh Brune. Josh is the co-owner of Impact Kitchen. Impact Kitchen is a wellness company with four restaurants in Toronto. I've been a fan of Impact Kitchen since its first location at King East, and I've been a patron here at least I'd say once a week for the last few years. It's one of my staple places for legit healthy meals. And although although I say healthy meals, but my go-to is a paleo waffle. Um, It's kind of a comfort food, but it's still, I'd say, quite healthy. Just the ingredients that they use. And yeah, it just tastes amazing too, which is awesome. Um, But yeah, it's uh, so... Because I love this place so much, it's just been a real treat for me to actually get to speak with Josh, the man who helped helped me, well helped create a place where I could get awesome coffee, work out of for like a few hours, as well as have some high quality healthy foods, just all in an awesome atmosphere. I like to commonly call it, it's like a little bit of Vancouver in Toronto, just because of the overemphasis on just healthy foods like grass-fed beef, um, everything organic, like that kind of deal. So more about Josh, though. Uh, Josh's journey did not start as a restaurateur. I'll give you a hint. It involves going to university on a baseball scholarship in the U.S., studying health science back in Toronto, or back in Ontario, and pursuing teaching, then firefighting, then becoming a personal trainer for successful entrepreneurs. So that's a hint, and I don't know. Maybe you've met other restaurateurs who've gone through that. I haven't, and we go through various parts of the journey, just like how one part being how Josh rekindled an inner entrepreneurial fire that he had earlier, earlier on, ever since he was young, um, and he rekindled that while getting master classes on business from his clients. Uh, as he learned about their lives over the years that he was a personal trainer. And we also explore the stress he felt when he didn't feel like he had his life figured out at 25 to the journey of starting Impact Kitchen at 35 to what it's been like in the last five years of building the business. And, you know, this is one of those, for me, it was a really exciting conversation to meet someone who was like-minded and who had... A big impact <laughs> to my life at at least on like a weekly basis. So this was a real treat for me. and I really do hope it becomes a real treat for you. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Josh. Hey everyone, welcome back to Accountant for. Today on the podcast. we have Josh Brune, the co-owner of Impact Kitchen. Hey Josh, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Oh, I'm excited. I've been really waiting for this moment. Um, but before I tell my audience why, I'd first like to ask you to kind of explain what Impact Kitchen is and describe to my audience what your business is all about.
1: Yeah, so Impact Kitchen uh, is a fast casual restaurant uh, with a cafe component, so a retail component, a baking component, kind of just to kind of go back to why Impact started. It really stemmed from, uh, you know, this desire and need to have uh, the cafe, the, the restaurant with protein add-ons, the baked goods, uh, pressed juices, smoothies. You know, we kind of got carried away of just creating a wish list of uh, everything we would want in a concept. And my partner, Frank Tosca, and I have never once really thought about like the logistical side of it. It was just uh, let's build like our dream place and figure it out as we go so you know and that's kind of how the idea started and my background is fitness and nutrition he's a lifelong passion for wellness so with the idea of wanting to do all those things there needed to be a nutritional approach and a wellness approach to all the the menu items we created
0: awesome and i think right now you have four locations throughout toronto right
1: yeah, four locations where I super excited. Just two weeks ago, our fourth opened up uh, in Queens Key area at 88 Queens Key West, uh, which has been awesome to kind of come into this neighborhood and start to build our community down here. And uh, it feels like it's uh, like from our original location on King East, where we were one of the first new businesses to come into Corktown. And there wasn't necessarily the community feel. Uh, and with Impact and, and other businesses like Lyft across the street, there's become this amazing community in Corktown. So that's really become a, a essential to Impact Kitchen is every area in the city we go into, we put a lot of work into building the community and fostering those relationships. Mm-hmm. And obviously trying to create the best customer experience when they come into the store uh, to build up that that loyal base of uh, customers.
0: Mm-hmm. And to, for the audience, this reminder, like I... I was super excited to have this interview as I as I told you earlier on before we recorded because I've just been such a big fan for such a long time since like the single location at King East and I remember telling my girlfriend uh, that it felt it felt like a little pocket of the West Coast inside a East Coast city just because like growing up from Vancouver it's. Vancouver has always just been a very like outdoorsy, very wellness focused area. And when I go to Impact Kitchen, like at least like in the King East area, it just felt like, oh, I'm just surrounded by everyone else that thinks and like believes in the same things I do. It's all about clean eating, all about wellness, fitness. And you just can tell like most people here all just came from the gym and just yeah. about to get their nutrition fix in.
1: Well, especially at King East, that was definitely the like the initial outreach. My network was the wellness industry. So my my goal in life at that time was to have the trainers the nutritionists the naturopaths the functional medicine doctors come into Impact Kitchen and have myself introduce them to the concept and then the, the goal was that they would like it and then start referring their network cuz mm-hmm. i know you know if you have a amazing naturopath that you see and you respect them you're probably going to Take their advice, and if they're saying, you know, there's a, a new restaurant that's opened up that you can go and trust the food, these high quality ingredients, they have bone broths, they have things that I recommend for you to eat. Uh, that was where I thought, like, I still believe word of mouth marketing is the the best. And, and when we opened the King East, we you know we didn't have Instagram, we didn't have even, we didn't even have a website for the first year, so it was a hundred percent word of mouth. And I credit that to all our success and how we built a foundation of customers throughout the city. It was just through the word of mouth. And I love coming, I, even at the New Queen's Key in the first two weeks, I'm, I'm hearing people come in and bringing a friend and then they're like selling impact to their friend mm-hmm. of why they should be eating here. And it's so cool to hear uh, other people passionate to bring their friends uh, because, you know, they re- they respect and like what we're trying to do at impact.
0: Yeah. D- honestly for, as, as someone who actually does that to all, a lot of my friends there's also a little bit of like the self gratification where when the friend goes oh you're actually right this is amazing and they start going there a lot and yeah. they go nice I, I, I made a bit of a change to someone's life but at the same time I realized that now there's always going to be a seat occupied that might have been empty before so there's yeah. always that little bit of like even while I was scheduling this interview I was thinking oh man I wonder if more people will go to Impact because of this interview and then I might lose up on my seat. I'm going to have to go earlier on my, on my like weekend journeys all the time now. Well, one of the cool things about Queens
1: Key is uh, it's our biggest location seats-wise. So it's true, we yeah. have an interior patio and then an exterior patio and then an inside seating. So we have a total of 150 seats. Uh, so that's going to be awesome, uh, especially when the nicer weather turns over and we can fill up, you know, 100 plus seats uh throughout the day it's gonna be pretty cool
0: yeah i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to that and in terms of your background like you spoke about how you you're coming from the health and nutrition side and i'm curious was that kind of like your background Like even as like a kid like were you always very passionate about health sports
1: yeah. So like getting into it as a career, I guess when looking back was a natural evolution, but it wasn't necessarily my game plan. Uh, so I was definitely the kid who, uh, did not thrive at school, the traditional setting, but thrived in sport. Uh, and I use sport as like a uh, way to get through school. Uh, for me, in school, you know, early age diagnosed with learning disabilities, ADHD, and really struggled in school. And it's, I, I can reflect on it now and think about the pros and cons of that. But going through school was a real challenge. Uh, and then you start to think about behavioral issues that came up, uh, and it was essentially like a rebelling and an embarrassment and an insecurity of not being able to read as well as other kids in my class, uh, struggling with math. And, and then, you, you know, the, the, the behavioral outbursts happened because of all those things. So I really credit sports for really getting me through that time. And I went all in on sports because I was uh, more gifted in that area of my, my world. And, you know, when you get a grade 11, grade 12, and you start thinking about university. And I grew up in an area where uh, probably 90% of my friends went to university. Uh, and it wasn't going to be an option for me because of my grades. But sports motivated me to at least meet the requirements because I started getting attention from U.S. schools for baseball. And that was the the goal of mine uh, from a young age. So I was able to get my grades together uh, and, and go down and, and play baseball there. But school was still not the focus. And after I played baseball there, I came back t- uh, to... Ontario to finish my degree at uh, degree at the University University of Western, and I did health science just because nothing else interests me. Graduated, and then took a year off, traveled uh, backpacking, you know, through Asia, Africa, and, and Europe. And you know, I, I I definitely think you know I learned more in that year than I did uh, in uh, like in my education. But still, coming back from that, like I went on that trip to find myself and all that, but. Still didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have a career path. And that's around 25. And, you know, it's at that point in your life, it's pretty stressful not having a direction and not knowing what you want to do. So my two career path choices were to become either a teacher. My mom was a teacher. My dad was an educator. So that was logical. Uh, or And so I went down that road. My mom worked with, like, special needs kids her whole life and dedicated her life to helping that population so I got into being a teaching assistant uh, for, for special needs kids and loved it. But after two years, decided that wasn't my career path. So then the next thing was, uh, and sports is still a passion of mine, but I, had to, like, I wasn't going to go pro or anything like that. So now I was just playing more for fun. So the next mm-hmm. thing that I thought would be a great career that could maintain the active lifestyle that I loved and playing sports was firefighting. Mm-hmm. So I went to Seneca College. It's like a three-semester program there. Uh, I loved it, did that. And then I just assumed you'd step right into a job, uh, especially if you like graduated like, uh, with good marks and you know, passed all the physicals and whatnot. So then you learn quickly that it doesn't work like that, uh, and you have to wait for the city that you're wanting to get hired into hire because a city like Toronto only hires every couple of years. And, you know, you go, there's a, it's a lengthy, lengthy process to get hired. Uh, it could take, you know, easily six months or longer for a lot of people. And so in that time, like I was, that was my plan. Um, my friend moved to Collingwood who was a personal trainer in a condo building. He's like, you can have a few clients of mine. I'm moving. They're all cash. Uh, you know, super Easy, you know, I had a sports background, a health science degree, but like no training certifications. So I said, sure, I'd love to take these guys on, uh, make, some, make some money, and I thought it would be fun. So I worked with these two gentlemen and then within like a couple of weeks got a referral into a lady who lived in Rosedale who is very socially connected, very like just super inspiring lady, like uh, uber successful in her, her, her field and, and like just like a go-getter and worked with her. She referred me to, well, my now business partner, Frank, and his life partner, Darren. And then that's happened in the first six months. And, and they, they, these two guys are two of the most inspiring people you could ever meet as well. So I started to think to myself, like, this is interesting. I'm loving doing it. I'm in a pretty unique network of people already. Like, maybe I should give this a go. So then I, then I, you know, kind of start going through the journey of getting the certifications in, in the fitness and nutrition world. You know, you start with CanFit Pro, then you go on and you look at like the Charles Poliquin's, the, uh, like I did the fascial strips therapy, Kevin Darby, who owns DTS, actually uh, attached to our King East location, has an awesome certification program. I did some of his, went through my CrossFit phase of certs. And uh, you know, just got really passionate about it and started getting referrals from my new clients whose their networks are also high performers and, and achievers. And and then and then I like all of a sudden a year or two goes by and I'm like uber busy getting to travel to some other cities for fitness-related uh jobs and you know, that's kind of how I got into the fitness and nutrition space. And then it's a long-winded answer. (laughs) But uh, so that like I'll I'll kind of jump into how that evolved on my mindset, because it took it took over a couple of years, but uh, it hit me one day. uh, I'm getting to spend an hour a day, three to five times a week with like amazing people. And essentially I was getting a master class like multiple hours a day, I'd go to one client's house and, you know, a lady could be a CEO of a company. I would go to a next person's house and the, the gentleman could be, uh, you know, an uber successful entrepreneur. Then the next person's house could be uh, someone who's the CEO of a hedge fund. Uh, and, you know, you're working one on one with someone for an hour. You're, you're talking like between breaks and over time, you know, they start to open up and talk about their life and, you know, I think uh, I'm a firm believer you've, you've heard the saying that you're common denominator of mm-hmm. the five people you spend the most time with. So during those few years, I think my ambition level went from like a like a five or six out of 10 to like a nine or 10 out of 10. Just because I started to really think like, you know, I think I can do bigger things than maybe I initially thought in my life. Not that being a teacher or firefighter, they're amazing careers. And I have lots of friends who are doing both. Uh, Amazing lifestyles and they're super happy people, but then I started to think, uh, uh, you know, bigger on an entrepreneurial scale because I actually like I was always an entrepreneur. You know, did the paper out, had the landscaping company in high school. Uh, I wasn't very employable. (laughs) I like never really had a job uh, ever, uh, except I did some uh, sports camps uh, for a few years in summers of university, and. Yeah, I, I guess I always was an entrepreneur, but I wasn't thinking about that for a career. It's weird. My, neither of my parents were; they weren't super excited about that idea because that was foreign to them. Uh, but then when I got the training business going, and I started proving to myself and peers that this is like I was making a good living and it's a real job, uh, you know. But I could I, then I started to think about what what could come after uh, training clients in their homes.
0: Wow, that is a. Uh... It's definitely a very unconventional journey, and it, as you're telling me, that it reminded me. This is why I do the podcast, just because it's so fascinating. I had no idea that you actually went through the whole, like, teaching path, or you thought it was the teaching path, and you went down like the firefighter route. And like, I knew about the personal training side cause from like your past interviews, but this side, I, I'm, wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was the path. Yeah, and like, it's, it's funny, The as you're talking about, like, the CampFit Pro, I ended up getting my CampFit Pro personal training license, too, when I was in university, and it's it's funny, like, I, I tell people um, how powerlifting was my way into, like, all my, like, top jobs, and it literally was, because when I was doing my first, like, accounting interview for, like, one of the big four firms, we all, we talked about was powerlifting in my yeah, personal training right. license for, like, 30 minutes, because nobody else, like, the partner I'd ever spoken to had that, yeah. and then, apparently, according to one of the recruiters, uh, the partner forgot my name, but he said, I want the guy that, that lives 400 pounds. Nice. <laughs> so that was just yeah. my brand. And That's that, awesome. that just kind of cascaded into like everything. But I, what I found like, really interesting is the, the way you approach the, the five closest person um, equation. Because the most common times I see it being used is like, related to who you work with in terms of um, like your colleagues at work or your friends or who your family members are. But to actually approach it in terms of who your clientele is, I think that is actually, that got me thinking in like a different mindset for sure, where it made me like reflect on, hey, yeah, who are my clients? Like, because if you're in like a certain kind of role, like if you're an accountant, then the people that you spend a lot of your time with, who are your clients on, you know, like an investment bank, for example, that can actually dictate the five people that you spend a lot of time with. And that yeah. can influence your mindset in that manner as well. And so that was, like, I'm curious, was that a, when did it start becoming like an intentional thing where you started going out to find like clients that you'd be inspired by? and? Well, I, I, it was,
1: from? it was accidental. Like I didn't, I didn't seek that. Um, it just, ha- that happened organically where, you know, I think well, I got asked a lot, like from personal trainers, like how I built that business. Right. And like, I would a hundred percent say it, like I, I was no better of a trainer than, you know, dozens of other trainers in the city. And, I think I approached the training sessions and I think maybe the reason I love the hospitality industry, cause I, I, really tried to like, I knew I had an hour with that person. And so like if the person, uh, was an author or I knew they were interested in a certain subject, like I went really heart deep into like reading their books and making sure I understood their world in terms of what they did now. But I didn't tell them I did that, uh, because I didn't want, like if they didn't want to talk about their world, like, you know, you have a, Uh, An individual who's, you know, into finance, but during our sessions, they only want to talk sports. Uh, I talk sports, but if they want to talk finance, it was, I think it maybe helped that I had a little baseline of knowledge there and and then I could at least have a conversation about it. Um, You know, like my partner, Frank, uh, was the co-founder of Mac Cosmetics and, you know, like makeup, beauty uh, pop culture were maybe things that I didn't know a ton about, but I tried to educate myself as much about it because it became super interesting to me because I was then now training somebody who created, uh, like a huge movement, uh, through his, that business, you know, he the, like this the story he's so humble, but the stories of the Mac AIDS fund and how much money it's risen hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. All his uh, philanthropy, just the story of how he started that company in his uh, mom's kitchen sink and grew it to, you know, an international brand. Like you can imagine like that class of entrepreneurship stories that you hear from spending three hours a week with somebody for five years. Uh, so like what I found was I got lucky of who was referring me, like who I was referred to. And. Uh, you know, I was able to stay with these people, a lot of them for five years plus. So you really get to know somebody. Uh, and, and you know, over the time, that's where it just kind of hit me one day that I was, you know, I was, I was an in-home trainer, so I was going to homes. So you get to know someone on even at a more intimate level. Uh, that's like, it just took a lot of time. Like I wasn't intentionally seeking out. It just kind of like hit me one day that I'm with these incredible people who uh, are famous in their particular field and i had friends who were in those fields who would be like like you're with this person for uh, like an hour to three five times a week like do you know who they are and to me they were just like my client and like someone who i got to know really well and i didn't like it wasn't like i was like uber excited because they were you know a famous author uh i just thought it was super cool that they were like a really good person into their wellness and so they wanted to hire a trainer and like we got along <laughs> but but uh the subliminally the level of ambition was 100 raised because that it kind of automatically seeps into you know your your mental your mindset and i think there's like it's it's from the outside
0: looking in it's one of those things that might not be obvious to people as like an opportunity that resides in like that kind of particular occupation like i didn't my first instance of that was so my brother is a kinesiologist and so you know my parents have two powerlifters in the family which makes it a little interesting mm-hmm. in terms of how we approach like food and diet and everything uh-huh. and we make our parents squat and good. yeah good. <laughs> but he like one day like he, he would casually like, tell me oh yeah like i have this entrepreneur and this entrepreneur as my clients and and i'd be like are you serious like the guy that like co-founded like that like entire like steak steakhouse chain and he's like uh-huh. yeah you know i just see him a couple hours a week and like, in my mind, I think, what are you asking him? Like, what, all the wealth of knowledge you could get from that. And that got me thinking, wow, there's so many ways where people can actually build up networks. And it's funny because when I was powerlifting, people, like, people close to me would tell me, oh, like, what are you going to do with powerlifting? Like, we are you going to, like, meet a bunch of rich people at a gym or something? Like, you, you should learn how to golf. That's where, <laughs> that's where all the business networking happens yeah. when you golf. And the funny thing is, from powerlifting, I ended up building, like, a pretty good network of people who are all, like, VPs of private equity funds and CFOs, because when you're the only guy lifting like, you know, yeah. like 300 pounds, people start coming up to you and they go, Hey, can you teach me how to do that? And then we just end up talking. And I'm like, Oh, so you're like some CFO. Oh, you're some hedge fund guy. And then they end up just becoming like they've been friends. We've been friends for like six years for some of them.
1: That's awesome. And it's fun. And you didn't do that on purpose. Yeah, exactly. You got thing powerlifting, you have a passion for it. Yeah. Uh, and then good things happen. Because I think also people recognize that you're not powerlifting uh, for networking. Right, right. Whereas if you had tried the golf route, you probably wouldn't have loved it, and people probably would have figured out that you're only at this uh, golf course for the networking, and then that would have come across as fake, and you wouldn't have built those relationships. Right.
0: And I'm curious for you when you were building on your personal training business, like when you know before that you were trying to be a firefighter, and so you actually went to, a, you know, you went to Seneca to learn all the basics. But for personal training, it just kind of came out from like a past. Uh, degree that you had and so for you when you got all these you yeah. know highly influential people how did you did you have any kind of like imposter syndrome on like can I actually coach them and what what do they want like do they want to be like a top tier athlete as well as being with a top tier? Uh, you know it's
1: funny because I do have imposter syndrome now being like a, a founder of a company going to certain events like with like a, oh now you do yeah I do get that but for training I never had it because oh. like my high school years I was obsessed with uh increasing my vertical leap and throwing a baseball harder like i want to be able to slam dunk and throw a baseball Mm -hmm. 90 miles an hour those are so i like early i had like nolan ryan's bible of pitching i had these things called strength juice i was learning about plyometrics Mm -hmm. like i really actually like i was like something i was passionate about i wasn't doing it for anybody else but i Mm like learning how the body worked Mm -hmm. and i like to figure out for my own self like okay how can i increase my vertical leap okay, like how can I throw a baseball harder? How can I run faster? And, you know, like how can I bench press more? How, like how can I do more chin-ups? So that was like a, something I always said, even through university. Like Yes, I have a, a health science degree, but I can say that that didn't teach me a lot about um, how to make the body uh, perform better. Like I learned the, the foundations, and I do. I'm, I'm glad I did like the anatomies, the physiologies, the biologies, because you have a, a understanding of the human body, but I don't think it made me a better trainer. I think I knew how to train someone because I had been an athlete and I had wanted to perform. But I, but definitely like so. Also, as you start to train people, you start to recognize when you get new clients. Well, that's how nutrition came into play because you know if if you were my client and you you wanted to lose say forty pounds, uh, you know I can guarantee I'll make you fitter like I can make you squat more I can make you uh, press more whatnot but I could not it's hard for me to guarantee I'm going to make you lose those 45 40 pounds unless you buy into um, eating healthy and you know I had clients who were not getting the results they wanted to because I wasn't zoned in on nutrition at all like I was just their trainer so then it became educating myself on nutrition and then it became educating myself on coaching because nutrition is really challenging you can't just tell somebody okay here's a 1500 calorie a day diet follow it like there's a lot of psychological factors involved there's a lot of behavioral change involved uh there's a lot of habit forming habit breaking uh methodologies involved so that became interesting to me uh later on and then the nutrition became a bigger focal point and then and then kind of that's also at the same time when uh impact uh started to become uh something i was thinking about
0: and i think that's a good segue then going to like that impact side like when did it go from being just an idea that you and frank just talked about during your training sessions to actually being why don't we actually start this and execute on this idea and turn it into a business
1: well it's a it's an awesome story and um, you know i i've i've got a i'm so grateful for the opportunity to even get to know frank in the training world but we were talking entrepreneurship one day, and you know, he, he gave me permission to approach him if I ever had an idea I was passionate about, because we were talking about. Well, I knew from working with wealthy people how uh, challenging it is in their life because they get asked for money a lot, and if they have a publicly known net worth, you know, it's very hard to say no to for what is to them a small amount of money, but for somebody else a lot of money, and. That's why they they surround themselves with people. It's hard to get get to them. Uh, So the idea of asking a client for money was never even a thought in my mind. Like I can honestly say I never even thought about it. But as soon as he said that, I knew that it was an opportunity of a lifetime and I had to act on it. Um, So, you know, essentially it was approaching him with the basic concept for what this might look like. And approached him and essentially he's like loved loved the the thought of it and then probably from that moment on we we would essentially use our training sessions to brainstorm for almost a year what it would look like and now he'd already like approved like to go ahead so i knew it was going to happen but it was, and and then once we kind of got a really good idea it was like for me it was like okay now we're actually opening a restaurant. How do we do that? <laughs> because I had never even thought about like, okay, like how do you open a restaurant? It was like, how do we get this concept that we're both comfortable with? Uh, and like, you know, you have a lot of like kind of honest talks about what we want out of the business. Like the like we, there's a quote that I use with my team and it was around, um, he said, you know, we're going to make it with high quality ingredients or we aren't going to make it at all. And when he's like, we got, we got to draw a line in the sand and never cross that line. He's like uh, if if like we as we grow, if we grow this business, you're going to get pressure to cut corners. And he's like you know, and so for your investor to say that, like a bank would never say that to me, right? So like a, so that that kind of was a statement that at least we're like we're going to grow this business in an ethical way and I'm not going to get an opportunity to grow it unless we can prove the concept using the kind of food and ingredients that adhere to, well, not what has now become our food philosophy.
0: And I love that, that constraint that was kind of already set, like set out where it's like, this is.
1: Yeah, it was perfect. Do. Like at the time you think about it as powerful, but then it's it's like, I use that uh, in my head office meetings, like when I'm talking to the team all the time, cause it's a statement that your your top investor is making uh, to the entire company. Right. And
0: so if you ever have like people cut corners and in ingredients, mm-hmm. because you know there's usually at the end, a financial result that they're trying to hit um by cutting those kinds of corners and but if you set up from the outset like no we're not going to cut corners at all ingredients then you'll have to problem solve and find different uh, yeah, innovative ways exactly. of solving the problem with different and that's, way that's the
1: name of the game for us and but
0: i can only imagine though, like, like from a customer standpoint like that's what you want to hear that's that's why i go to impact kitchen but i can only imagine when you actually said something so aspirationally kind of strong as like we only do high quality ingredients that there's definitely a lot of obstacles that you have to just try to overcome there's probably a lot of hardships where it's like shit this is so hard because we set this bar, this bar at a quite a high level i think for a restaurant and i'm curious what what moments are there that kind of come to mind of like that option ob- that kind of bare, um high bar kind of making things a li- little harder <laughs> to run a restaurant
1: well they're, they're like they're I've kind of glazed over the challenges yeah. like in general. Let's like, go into that. Like, well, there was, <laughs> there was unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, first off, it was, like, how do you open a restaurant? Uh, so, literally, like, you know, not knowing what equipment you need, not knowing, like, the the ventilation systems you need. So, I, I Googled how to open a restaurant. And Perfect. Yeah, you know, that's what everyone does. But then there's a consulting company that I hired and used them to kind of guide me mm-hmm. through... Uh, like equipment necessary, like, you know, how many knives and forks you need to buy, what kind of stoves you need to buy, like you got to have a dishwasher, like what companies to bring in. So that was awesome to have. I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Um, worked with a lady named Jenny Companion, the 15 group. So that that really allowed, helped me get to a point where we could open. And then, you know, year one, Frank Frank was awesome in terms of, for the first probably four months, he's like, let's not worry about the numbers. Let's just like create an environment where the customers can have the best experience possible. So, you know, we would be there greeting customers at the door. And then I really think a big part of our early kind of success was we made a lot of mistakes, uh, painful ones, but nine out of 10 times it was either Frank or myself going over the customer, you know, bringing them a, a new bowl or a new baked good, trying to appease the situation. And we weren't busy so we could spend time and get to know our customers. And, you know, I still have customers today who talk about like, yeah, the first time I ever came, like, like Frank shook my hand and uh, I had no clue who he was uh, and, you know, just created like uh, awesome welcoming. And then they probably say, yeah, you guys messed up my bowl, but, <laughs> but it was all good. Uh, but I, 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 I like a lot of those ups and downs in the early days. And then and then around four months, it was OK, like we got to look at these numbers. Uh, they're not good. Okay, we need a strategy. So I actually brought the 15 group back uh, and Jenny came back in. Okay, she's like, you need to get your food costs to here. You need to get your labor costs to here. You got your operations costs to here and let's start working on this. So like week over week, you know, labor was a huge issue for us because I didn't really know how to write a schedule. I didn't know how to manage that. Uh, so it was like figure that out, get it down to the percent goal we want. Okay, food costs. We got, we were here, we got to get down to here. Okay. What's the strategy? Like, do we need to get new suppliers? Do we need to, we had to get better on our waste, Uh, like so many little strategies. And then, you know, over the next four months ish, we started to turn the numbers to look pretty good. And then the last four months of the first year started to actually feel like, okay, we're we, we might actually make it here. We might get something. We started to get a lot of the early loyal adapters uh and and you know started to like make a little bit of money and then by the end of year one we had kind of hit, hit a good stride mm. uh and then did really well year two and during that year was when when kind of France okay i think we can open on the the west side of, like another location and we found the one in adelaide and brant and then when you go from one to two that creates a whole new round of issues because uh you know, you're managing people, you're trying to create systems and processes, uh, like getting that consistency from one location to the other. And these are the, the kind of like a powerful thing as, as an entrepreneur, the path you go down, uh, you start to recognize all the things you're not good at and you have to accept that and you have to bring people into your company who are better than, than you at a lot of things and give them a lot of freedom and flexibility to do what they're good at and then just maintain a working relationship and find the right reporting structure uh, to, to allow a company to scale and grow. And that's kind of where we're at now. We've got this incredible team of like really passionate people who love our core values. They, they love our food philosophy. And you know, we've got a head office now from, from HR, regional people, director of operations, uh, uh, marketing, uh, catering, uh, and, and like the team, I have to step back sometimes and marvel at how good they all are and how hard they work. And, you know, that's, that's the journey and kind of the rewarding feeling now is just that team and then the work they're putting in. Because we know, like, we feel like we have an opportunity here uh, to really prove concept t- and take us to the next level, where we can go to Frank, our our investor, and say, "Okay, we're ready to to keep growing." Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's kind of where we're at now.
0: And it's been what four and a half years, five years?
1: Uh yeah, four and a half years. Four and a half years. Yeah.
0: Wow! And you're already at four locations. That's yeah, that's pretty fast, I think, right? For yeah, right?
1: it's pretty fast. Like uh, considering also, like, we kind of cr- we we. Had no one on our roster is from the restaurant industry, right? Yeah, so we've kind of learned as we go, and just through kind of hard work and good people, we've allowed ourselves to, to grow to four so far. Mm-hmm.
0: And when when you first had the idea, um, when Frank, the idea that Frank gave an okay to, how does that compare to what turned out to be like? the working profitable model by end of year one. Like, how does th- those two versions compare? Are you just- know, it's
1: funny because the, the actual original idea is pretty much the same. Yeah. It's just, uh, so when I taught to Frank, he said, do you want a partner or an investor? And I said, well, if you're willing to partner, that's something that I, I didn't know that you'd be interested in doing. So I'd love to have you do that. Uh, so the the concept kind of times 10 kind of automatically with him being involved. Uh, because, you know, he's that type of entrepreneur. Like he's not going to um, open up a 300 square foot like smoothie bar. So I had like uh, probably asked for X amount and then he got involved and we got we, we, we timesed it uh, by a lot. And that allowed us, though, to really, you know, make our own press juices, make our own broths, buy the equipment to do our own baking, buy the equipment to make everything in house. And that, that's been key to who we are. Like, uh, like no one else can really say that, uh, you know, we have a lot on our menu. And that I, I, I kind of joked with you earlier, that kind of just stemmed from us getting carried away of everything we could possibly want and imagine. And everyone told us that was a bad idea. But, uh, you know, he also said something like, you know, if we, we have to do what we want to do, because uh, if it doesn't work, we're always going to regret uh, doing what other people told us to do. So you know we we did it all, uh, but you know that that's also something that has differentiated us in the industry is having like a huge wide variety of options.
0: Wow, and that that gives me a lot of clarity into like why the King Street location, the first one, was relatively big for I think like a, a venture like the yeah. first restaurant, and we that's should- still <laughs> where we
1: we had a huge like you don't even see half the space we have a huge back of house. So we built our commissary there so now like we do the broths and massive vats there and we we drive it to the other locations we do the baking there uh and they get baked off of the locations and we do the salad dressings there uh so yeah we treat it's like it's a commissary kitchen oh wow yeah Yeah. i had
0: no idea that you had such a huge space Wow! it's big yeah and how in you know in in one in one way like you made it seem like it was a very easy decision. It was like, oh yeah, Frank's gonna join as a partner, and we're gonna have all this thing going out. But you know, prior to this taking off, you had a very you know, successful personal training business for like five six years. What what was the transition like where you went full time into impacting? How did that play out in your mind?
1: Uh, it was it was pretty smooth. Uh, like I knew as soon as we got going at Impact that this was gonna be what I did for a long time. Like yeah. I like it's kind of that like naive, uh, blind confidence, uh, of like, there's just no option for it to not work. Uh, and and impact is so like near and dear to like who I am. Uh, like I just, I knew it was going to work. I never wavered even through, we had hard times, but I never wavered, uh, on it working. So I transit, like I had to start, uh, you know, letting go of some, like moving on from clients. I, I didn't like I that that I had no business mindset then like so I wasn't building a business to sell Mm -hmm. it so that was not even like a part of my uh, thought process I more or less did what my friend did for me I gave clients to friends and that's all I did and then I was able to now this is also a unique situation because I had a partner Mm -hmm. like Frank I was able to streamline into impact and pay myself like a modest salary when we, before we even opened, which is a unique, uh, for any entrepreneur. So that's, you know, I'm super grateful that, but I was able to, you know, more or less pay myself something that I would allow me to pay my bills. And then I knew as we opened and got into the first or the second year, if, if, if we were doing well, I would be able to pay myself more. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of just how it happened. You know, I probably six months to a year before we opened. I went full time on Impact, and then it was just essentially the 15 group. The way they do it, they call it like the pre-opening package or whatever, and you get like a list of like a thousand things that have to get done in order to open a restaurant. So it was like just creating that uh, work back schedule and that mindset of every day, uh, kind of checking a few things off the box. And and that's when I was I was telling you that I I was working at a cafes for that year, and I just had like a rotation of like three different cafes and then that got me even more excited for the concept because i was like if there was only a place like impact i would go there every day and just work there uh because that's just like for me i wanted the high quality food at at a cafe with great coffee that's so meta it's like you actually go you're in a cafe working out the schedule
0: to build out the kind of cafe restaurant that you want yeah (laughs) that's
1: really what happens.
0: (laughs) wow and You also mentioned about how, you know, there were many pain points and times when things were really hard. And, you know, on this podcast, we like to explore all the intangible sides of things. And I think the hard things are the really important things that actually, I think, test whether we have the perseverance to push on. And actually, that's when I think, you know, whether are you doing this for some extrinsic reason, like money or or pride, or is this actually something you actually truly believe in, you have the conviction for? And I'm curious what... What are some hard times that kind of come to mind? As like, yeah, these were some pretty tough moments.
1: Well, I think like a, like uh, it all kind of kind of falls on my shoulders and stems from me for what I'm uh, good at and what I'm bad at. Uh, like in the early days, uh, you know, I would say I was hundred percent like a micromanager. I was there from open to close seven days a week, and you know, I didn't feel comfortable. Uh, never, like never not being there and being like involved in, uh, whatever decisions were getting made for the day. And so like it was, it was, and, and, and so at the time I also had a, a one year old kid and a second child on the way in that first year. So, you know, obviously zero time at home and, you know, a business that was kind of having a lot of ups and downs for a, the, the books and then be the people. Uh, so I started working with a coach and, you know, he was more or less at the beginning to kind of mentor me on how to run a restaurant, how to manage people. And then it kind of turned into kind of some life coaching and some time management coaching. And, you know, he said a really powerful thing to me once in terms of like time management. So, you know, we would block off times in my schedule and it was like, okay, you got to start spending time with your kids because you've told me that's a huge priority for you. You know, the exercise was like what is most important to you you write that on like the left column of a page then you have your week schedule so if you say family your wellness and impact are the three things that are most important to you but this week you did 95 percent impact two percent family two percent wellness like something like that he's like you're not living a balanced life so you know block off time for your kids and then week over week you know i would say okay i'm not coming to the restaurant on sunday and then you know saturday a crisis happens because i hadn't prepared my team well enough so i'm like okay i'm going to come in on sunday and fix the problem because uh, i'm the only one that can do it like that was the mindset so he said to me he's like josh uh after failing multiple weeks in a row he's like i want you to write your eulogy from your kids perspective So, you know, that was like, like the biggest punch in the gut, right? Like it makes you want to clam up and think about that. So that, that actually moment was a key moment for me. It was where, okay, you can't micromanage, you have to delegate and you have to at least create early systems and procedures. So you don't have to open the restaurant. You don't have to close the restaurant. I have to start empowering people in the business so that I can step away a little bit. And, and then what was the best part of all this was that's when you go through that journey of realizing that people are better than you at a lot of things. And the only way to grow a business is to have really awesome people on your team that can support you and the company on, on what they're best at. And so that was like, you know, the early phase. I can remember working with a, a general manager. We had at the time. And she was really good at like the checklists and, and helping me write like some of the early systems that then allowed me, you know, we'd give those checklists to the opening manager. Okay. You're going to open this day a week, these days a week. So then I just started to step back and she started to thrive more. And it's, that's been like the story of the last four years. You know, you, you find someone who's awesome and fits the culture that I wanted to foster, empower them and most of the time they surpass expectations and that's uh that's been the best part of the last few years for sure Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i think that eulogy exercise is is definitely a really powerful one it i use mine to help discern like what i should kind of the paths i should kind of pursue in my life but i think for you where it's also kind of resetting priorities and resetting focus that's actually like another very valuable thing at the end of the day it's all a focus on what is truly important to you yeah that's it, what it is right yeah and you and, to, and to live already. your
1: life according to what is right. most important to you exactly uh so that was a really good clear exercise for me mm-hmm. and how did it
0: like how did it actually feel though to Relinquish that kind of control, like the need to. Oh, it felt amazing. It. Yeah, <laughs> you you weren't like
1: anxious about it no, at all. Like, like it, it just because you saw how it helped the business, mm. it, it helped me, but it helped the business. You know, people were more engaged. They felt more uh, empowered. They uh, liked their job better. You know, you saw people step out of their shell. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, it was the best thing that could have ever happened. And you know, I, I knew I wasn't good at certain things, but I felt like I had to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was amazing to now have people who liked that stuff and were really good at it. And I trusted. Like there's a whole other conversation around finding the right people, like company the the adhere to our company values that are the right fit. Uh, but if you find those people that meet all our criteria like there's nothing more rewarding for me now than to to have those people join the team.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's it's it's one of those things where there's a rational argument, the intellectual argument, where it's like, yeah, that makes total sense. But I can only imagine like it's definitely like a growing, it's something you have to grow into. I oh,
1: think. for sure. Like I can tell you a story. So when I was when I was working with the general manager, like my whole thing was I was always on the floor greeting customers. Like that was what I loved to do. Uh, but I knew, cause I knew we were going to have the opportunity to grow to the Adelaide and Brant one. I would have to literally go on the back and lock myself in the office and let her own the lunch shift. Wow. Oh, okay. And I couldn't, in the early times, like I couldn't leave cause right. I had to be there in case something went wrong. I could run out and do something. But I was like, that was hard because, uh, that's what I had done for probably a year straight. I probably didn't miss a lunch. And then, but I knew I had to start missing lunches and let her like be the general manager. Uh, So yeah, I would sit in the office and I would twiddle my thumbs and I would be having anxiety. And then I would poke my head out and I'd be like, "Okay, everything's good." You know, like they're they're doing just as good as it if I had been out there. And so then you start to say, "Okay, like you know what? Like the place isn't going to burn down. Customers aren't going to leave." uh you know you the the general managers got it so then then that's when you know started hey i don't need to be here on this day like, I, or i can i can leave early and then that was the empowerment of stepping back a little bit and because if you like as we started to think about the second one you know then you've got a a lot of other responsibilities so at that point you know the team could essentially run the restaurant uh, on their own mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i think in one particular kind of article uh, you mentioned how yeah you're working seven days seven days a week, fifteen hour days, and this kind of exercise of trying to trust your people and like really figuring out what's really important to you. what's very instrumental in changing your mindset and like changing your perspective on yeah maybe I don't need to do seven days a week, fifteen hours a, a day. But there's like I think in for people who go on the entrepreneurial journey, there's always that struggle with in your mind you always feel you have to do more and. There's like a constant. Sometimes, I, at least for me, like there's like a nervousness when I'm not constantly doing some something related to growing the yeah. business or doing something about it. But like for you, like how do you how do you like answer that kind of like this concern or question that people have? Where it's like would you have been able to achieve so much if you no, didn't? So uh,
1: this is a good great question. I love this question because now I'm in a position where I talk to some entrepreneurs who are in the, their beginning phase of their their journey, and a lot of people seem to have the the four hour work week dream, like as they're starting their business, and I have zero regrets uh, of spending that much time in the business at the beginning, because I I do think it's super valuable for you to go all in and to know every facet of your business in the early days. And you know, I look back on that time and I actually have nothing but great memories. Like I liked being there from open to close and. I loved it actually. And the only reason, well, I started to stop because of the, the eulogy comment. Cause I had a the family and my daughter was born in like eight months into the first year. So that kind of was a, a huge life change that forced me to reevaluate that. But then cause I, cause I was also, I was in the growth mindset before we should have been like, I have, a, I have a recollection in like probably five, or six months in, even we had no customers, we weren't profitable. And I was like, hey, Frank, like, I think we should open a second one. And he's kind of like, I okay, you need to slow down there, buddy. Like, uh, let's let's get some uh like a year under our belt at least and at least prove the concept a little bit. But uh, you know, I think it was stemmed because the early, early adopters were so passionate about us. Like we got these people, they were coming five days a week, and they and that was like who I was talking to, right? Like the five people you're surrounding us. So I was talking to just diehard impact fans and I was a diehard impact fan. So I just automatically knew we were going to grow, uh, like, which isn't the case cause we had to really do a lot of work to figure out how to get there. Uh, so, but yeah, for like early entrepreneurs, I do think you got to have that grinding, that work hard, kind of sacri- make some sacrifices in your life to start your business. But I do think like, basically as soon as you can it's uh, it depends what your goals are but if the goal is to scale a company uh, you have to then bring on people who are better than you at certain things you have to learn how to delegate you have to learn what your true strengths are and go all in on those and then you have to have people you trust because if you're getting direct reports from people who are doing really important things in your business you've got to trust them and you've got to, you know they're, they they' they're going to be empowered so setting up that team is is uh, crucial mm-hmm and on this
0: path of, like you know you've done myriad of very like interesting things so far and what what kind of comes to your mind as as a particular moment where you felt like you like actually questioned the conventional wisdom on you know, whether it's like building out impact or even just thinking about like designing your career like so far
1: i can't say like i think like from like my entire life i've question conventional wisdom yeah uh going back to education to you know what i was focused on in my 20s and even with impact like you know we're two non-restaurant guys who got into the restaurant world and when we talk to our team members like we're no one in our like we don't talk about being a restaurant you know we, we're more of a lifestyle brand and we like we have not that every restaurant has a a bad um culture, but that was like, you get a lot of horror stories about like restaurant, uh, worlds, uh, like behaviors. And so we, we've, uh, we've really approached like our culture as just, just any business. Like we're not a restaurant, right? Like we have our food philosophy, our core values, and we really try to stick to those and and build an environment where people just feel like they're working at a great place to work. What's a, what's one of the horrors? Well, just like, like like more so like uh, back in the day, like backhouse stories of uh, potential like substance abuse. Uh, uh, like in the news, there's there's often uh, there's been some high profile uh, issues with uh, restaurant culture. Now, yeah, I, I don't know in the in depths of that, but it was a point of us to the beginning to to avoid that if possible. Yeah, I've I've had a
0: buddy work at a. Isakaya tell me how oh yeah like all the stuff like yeah oh, yeah we're, we're all snorting cocaine before the nighttime shift and I was like really and he's like yeah it's kind of a
1: there's a bit of that culture in hospitality I'm like really I had no idea yeah I think it's changing obviously you right know. Yeah, no, uh, yeah but that, that's you know just we've tried to set a tone of that's not really what what we're about mm-hmm. and you know like impact's very like
0: I think you as because maybe you guys took on the approach of being like a lifestyle brand like there's a lot of education like with the products and stuff on like, exactly what's in it what are the ingredients and it's very important so like, i i as like a consumer feel very confident that i'm getting probably what i'm paying for like it's it says grass-fed beef it's probably grass-fed beef but for like, i find that because there's some people view it kind of as like this trend where people just want to eat healthier and is there a way for people to be able to like do like a quick test of like is this restaurant really using high quality ingredients or not is there a way for people to know
1: uh like i don't know how you could really truly audit that yeah now you like i think that there's a lot like i think one of the things we have with our customers is is their trust right? right and we respect that trust uh now internally we have a food philosophy that Is awesome because and I and I wrote the food philosophy in the early days because um, when I was a nutritionist I was asked always what's the perfect way to eat is it paleo is it vegan is it uh, whatever Mm -hmm. so then my early food philosophy in my training days was just eat minimally processed nutrient-dense real food I felt if you were vegan or paleo or whatever that would apply to you and I could stand up at a conference and say that and everyone would agree with me and then we uh, grew the impact food philosophy to be a little bit more robust than that. But we send that food philosophy to our suppliers Our all of our kitchen managers, like no one adhere to that food philosophy. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge asset for us with our suppliers cause they have our food philosophy. So if they send us something, uh, in the early days, they would try to send us something that maybe didn't adhere to it. And it's easy for me to go back at them and say, you know our food philosophy. Does this adhere oh. to it? And they'd be like, no. I'm like, well, why'd you send it to us? They're like, well, maybe we were trying to get you a cheaper product. Save you some money. Like, they try to sell me like that. Like, I have to just say, like, we're not interested if it doesn't meet our food philosophy. So don't even send me that. Like, I don't want to know about other products that might be cheaper because it's not like that. Going back to that quote that Frank said, you know, we drew that line in the sand. Mm-hmm. So it's been you have to work with your suppliers. And it's a constant working relationship. And. Last year, actually, when we knew we were going to grow a little bit more, we set a company mission to, as we grow and scale, we're going to try to actually uh, get better and better with our ingredients and, and make that the priority of the company going forward. Mm. Partner with some smaller suppliers, try to be a little bit more local and try to roll a little bit more seasonal menu items.
0: And so, what does your kind of nutritional system look like now?
1: My personal? Yeah. Uh, I think I stick to a pretty high plant based paleo diet. Oh. So I, I'm, I'm not against, uh, proteins, but, uh, like, that's one area where like personally I invest my own money if I'm not eating impact into like the grass fed free range, uh, style of protein. Mm-hmm. I play with intermittent fasting more the, uh, 16 and eight hour windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel great doing it, but sometimes if I work out in the morning, like today, I don't like working out on an empty stomach, so I ate this morning uh, four scrambled eggs, half an avocado, and some of our granola, uh, impact granola and blueberries just at home, and then went to the gym.
0: That sounds like an awesome breakfast.
1: Yeah, it was great. And then, yeah, I'm lucky to have impact in my life, so (laughs) I went to the gym and then went to impact, had a mackerel bowl with steak, arugula, sweet potatoes, and balsamic dressing uh so yeah like uh, i think clean eating is a passion of mine uh high quality protein unlimited vegetables moderate nuts and seeds and a lot of healthy fats Mm -hmm. and then coffee water smoothies and wine and beer when i want yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i don't i don't i like i try to think of like a balanced approach like Mm i i'm not actually the person who does like uh sober october or take like january off from drinking or like i've just like i'm pretty balanced throughout the year mm-hmm. uh like i don't go too crazy anymore and i i don't go too 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 strict on anything either
0: mm-hmm. yeah i find like the subject of nutrition is just such a hard world i think to be part of like it's just so hard to even like, keep up with all the white papers that come out and yeah you read them and you kind of wonder is this lobbied by like a different you know food group company? Like, who's it written by? And like, even like even before doing intermittent fasting, I had to like, read through like maybe three or four different white papers before I decided. Okay, there's gonna be a range that I think, given the data, that I'm pretty comfortable. Yeah. With. So like, now I do like a fourteen to eighteen. Okay. Hour like, so it depends on each day depending on like you like if I gym in the morning then I'll have a, a shorter fast period like, things like that. Yeah. But
1: so yeah, one one thing that uh, I'm hugely passionate about is um. I don't know if you've read about like uh, Blue Zones and Sanitarians. Yes, yes. So that that actually was a huge factor and probably impact and just my approach on nutrition. So about 10, 15 years ago, National Geographic did the first article. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, the, the guy who authored all the Blue Zone books. Um, so he, he did the first article about, uh, you know, he was tasked with going around the world finding Places with the most people who live to 100 years old. Right. So We identify, you know, like um, the Okinawas Okinawa, the-, <laughs> the the people uh, the Loma Linda, California, and there's a place in Costa Rica and other places. And so I just I just bought his newest book, and I love reading about like the common denominators between these people and longevity. And well, what was super cool is you realize that like what kind of I always thought like okay, fitness, and nutrition are the most important things. And his research says that those are important, but they're not the most important. Uh, Like the most important things are having purpose, having a sense of community, uh, being like uh, respected in a focal point as you get older in your family dynamic or community dynamic. And then nutritionally, you know, no processed foods. But there wasn't like the most common ground, actually, I'd say uh, was vegetables and beans and legumes those are the things that people people seem to be eating the most of around the world and and exercise wise it wasn't people who necessarily go to the gym it was people who move naturally in their day-to-day lives so a lot of people like like walking number one thing uh like tai chi stretching maintaining mobility uh doing manual labor from time to time I just find that stuff so fascinating Uh, and I, and I love it actually. So at at impact uh, the most recent round of many development, our next round of power bowls is going to be pretty heavy on the beans and legumes Uh. and lentils uh, just because, uh, you know, I think because I was pretty paleo for a while and, you know, those are frowned upon there, but I really, like I I don't have any actually food uh, intolerances it was actually another thing I've learned opening impact is just uh, the, the power of us having like clean ingredients and having someone that's celiac feel comfortable eating there. People with Crohn's can eat there because we use like really just olive oil and no like no other kind of oils. Uh, like people that have autoimmune disorders uh, like leaky gut syndrome and other things like these people like they can't eat out uh and they were able to to eat at our restaurant just because you know we're we do have like 100% gluten-free and and you know high quality ingredients so it's been amazing to kind of meet those those people and uh the appreciation they've had is uh inspiring for us
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think it's it's like you said where it's definitely not the extremes that actually end up living like, like for sure. having longevity, like even like i tell my friends like yeah part of the thing it's if you did maybe like six 70% of what a competitive product does, I think that'd be like great. But the extremes of any sport, like it's actually probably going to shorten lifespan to a certain degree because you're taxing your body so heavily and you're pushing it to the limits. And that's not really a great way for, I think, fostering longevity. And I think it's like exactly what you said about even diets, where nowadays I've been, after experimenting so many times with so many different diets for like cutting weight and maintaining weight and like not losing strength. What now I'm exploring with is just high quality foods. Where, you know, before like I'd be on like low carb, i be you know, some kind of like a paleo diet. But over time, like reflecting on, like the journals I keep on like my nutrition log, it's like it mm, doesn't seem to be as impactful to like cut out carbs. Actually, when I have a lot of carbs, I actually sometimes actually
1: lose weight. Yeah, and I find, like, with nutrition, too, uh, it's so individualized. Yeah, like, there exactly. There are people who can't eat a lot of carbs. Right, uh, yeah. And there are people who can't eat a lot of high-fat diets. Uh, so, like, as a nutrition coach uh, mm-hmm. now, with the information that we all have now, like, you would have to treat every single client. Uh, there's no template. Right, like, yeah. I was coached on calorie mm-hmm. templates, right? Like, you create mm-hmm. a if, – if you were a client and you wanted to put on weight, okay, here's a 3,000-calorie Diet and that the food quality wasn't at the top of mind. This is going back like 10 years ago. But now, like, I would agree with exactly what you're saying. If I'm a nutritionist now working one on one with somebody, I'm going all in on food quality. I don't care about how many calories they're eating. I don't even really care about their macros. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just caring about quality. And then I'm going to probably veer them on, like, you know, make vegetables 70% of your plate, have uh, protein X, uh, have fats x and just focus on kind of eating that balanced plate we get a lot of flack for not um showing our calories really yeah people some people like with the apps they really want to know that so they can punch those in oh, but wow. uh like that was a conscious decision as well because um like that when we impact was starting is when i actually started to get away from prescribing like calorie counted diets Mm -hmm. because i actually saw that was a really ineffective way to coach people Mm -hmm. because they either became obsessive or they didn't adhere to it um Mm -hmm. so we that's why we one of the reasons why we created the food philosophy is just to kind of tell people that a high quality nutrient dense real ingredients are kind of the the be like what trumps uh being Mm -hmm. so into counting the calories Mm
0: -hmm. yeah i think there's I try to tell these people who ask me for advice like to take the bottom-up approach, which is time-consuming, but I think it's the way to actually individualize and customize where it's yeah, like you eat something, it's fuel. What does it do to your performance? What does it, like, how do you feel the next morning? How do you feel when you sleep? Like, do you get great sleep when you eat X amount? And actually trying to keep track of that and being cognizant of, oh, yeah, like when I eat an apple, I feel pretty shitty. Then yeah. maybe you shouldn't eat an apple.
1: For sure. Like, things yeah. like that. Yeah, that's the like the kind of personal experimentation. Yeah, is, uh, <laughs> is really uh, what we all should be doing. Mm-hmm. And as a, as we kind of um, wind down closer to uh, the
0: near end leg like, of the interview, I'm curious. Like you mentioned earlier on in your journey, like you said when you were 25, that you know you felt like the pressure to have something figured out and I can definitely relate where I think even myself and like my peers like when you hit that kind of age like there's kind of this stigma of like like well, when you hit 30 you should have everything figured out by then so then when you're 25 you feel like five years is gonna go by so quickly and people start fretting and if you were to think back to that 25 year old self like the 25 year old Josh like what do you first what what emotional reaction do you think that Josh would have to what you're doing right now do you think you'd be surprised do you think you'd be like upset or do you think you'd be excited
1: i think you'd love it but there is zero chance at 25 i ever thought i'd be in the restaurant world yeah zero <laughs> chance It never was a thought in my mind and if you could think back to the 25 year
0: what advice do you wish you could have given that josh that was um you know struggling being maybe somewhat like, anxious about what to do yeah
1: next? for sure like you know, I've said a lot of, like I said earlier on, that like the school system wasn't for me, but I like I don't I do want to say like it is it is for some people like uh, my wife's an optometrist and she knew that she wanted to do that from essentially first year university to mm-hmm. the eight years it takes to be an optometrist, like my best friend's an engineer and he was always passionate about that. So and I had a lot of friends who knew what they were going to do. So that really was stressful because I was uh, kind of an outsider in my group of having no clue what I wanted to do and I think I was thinking about um, like careers It's like what should I be like what like what career do I need to have and if I could go back and give give myself advice it would be like don't like don't focus on like a career like focus on what your passions are and what like where does that take you on like what journey is that going to take you on like like to identify like you know personal core values personal passions and try to learn more about yourself uh of how you see yourself fitting into the world and if you know i'm in the entrepreneurial mindset right now like then i wasn't in um but i think that mindset because it could lead to oh i want to be a school teacher like my passion is uh working with uh, people who are 12 to 16 years old. I want to coach their teams. And I want to co- teach them about uh, history. And, you know, that would be amazing if that's your passion. But, like, I don't think I did the work at 25 to really think about my passion. I don't, I don't think I had one. Like, and I, I think that's, like, a deep exploration. Even when I was traveling, I said I went to find myself. Like, I wasn't trying to find myself, though. I was trying to find think about the careers I wanted to do um so i think i would have a mindset shift of what's your passion uh what are your personal core values and like how are those going to play out in you know the next five ten years of your life mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it makes it makes me i think the thought i had from there is the idea that yeah because I, I experienced it too where you end up wanting a job with like a certain title and then that career you want that to be your identity but then you tie your identity to that whatever title it is instead of the reverse where you actually have control over who you, your own identity and then the the job is just merely like a proxy. It's just a vehicle that you just take to achieve yeah. who you are and then you can you can leave that vehicle and, and then enter another one like you did where you went from personal training to being in the restaurant business. Yeah like if
1: I I also would tell my twenty five year old self to relax a little bit because yeah. I didn't start this venture until I was, you know, basically thirty five uh so that's and then i i've met so many entrepreneurs who don't start their venture until they're 42 uh and now they're 50 and they've they've built this amazing company or they might be on their second company uh so like you know i don't really even think of age as a limiting factor at all i think it's all mindset
0: 100 yeah I, I actually had another entrepreneur on recently who started his company after having kids and a family as well and he was saying, well you know there's a lot of pluses that come with age there's a lot of experience you have networked like you have gone through so many mistakes that it adds a lot of value to when you decide to start something really hard like
1: a company yeah no that's that's very true
0: yeah well josh this was a lot of fun um this i really appreciate you coming on and sharing your fascinating story with myself and my audience i definitely learned a ton and it's definitely made me want to go back to impact more often than I do. Awesome. <laughs> knowing knowing all the ingredients and all the work that you you put into actually making it happen. And yeah, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story.
1: Well thank you. Really appreciate it. All right. Take care.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope the story was inspiring to you. It hopefully it also helped you expand your perspectives. Hopefully it also made you question The default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had and maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it doing something different maybe challenging yourself being courageous who knows but regardless i'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest and if you would like to somehow in some way contribute and help support the podcast and maybe even just be part of the community that i'm trying to build with the greater omd ventures platform really think about being a stakeholder in the platform and the quick way to do that is to go to my website oldmandan.com and go to the stakeholders page i believe it's oldmandan.com stakeholder and the link is also down below and that's how you can figure out how you can subscribe follow to get more updates on the free content but at the same time also donate and donate by actually just buying me a coffee that's just how I put it and you can buy me a coffee a month coffee a week or coffee every day of the year and think about it as the way that you know if you wanted to chat with me you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat you might buy them a coffee so I'm just think of it as I'm the service that's doing that for you so you can just pay me in coffees (laughs) don't worry uh, everything will still be free it's just it would just really help if you would like to show your support this way so that I can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees and also to buy my guests actual coffees at and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform as well as even keep it operationally alive as well because it all this isn't really free and it does take a lot of time to build it as well as operate it and hopefully grow it further so your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute. And so, yeah, just check out the website. Go to the stakeholders page and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder. All right. Thank you.